Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And we're joined on the line from Portland in Oregon by Abner Haugie. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Portland via California, I should say. We get a lot of feedback. Why is everyone new interview from Portland? I mean, like, Portland's kind of the forge of a bunch of stuff and, like, the tactics all kind of bleed out to the rest of the West Coast, so. So, you're the editor of Left Coast Right Watch. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is and what you do? So, we're an independent media outlet. We pretty much exclusively cover, I mean, our per, our beat, as it were, is just, does this have something to do with fascism and authoritarianism? If so, we cover it. And it kind of just evolved out of, I went to UC Berkeley when Milo Yiannopoulos came to campus, and I did my thesis project on the Berkeley College Republicans who invited him there. And I just didn't want to give up reporting on this beat and just kind of wedged myself in here and there's so much to report on unfortunately the u.s seems to be stuffed to the brim with very fine people at the moment sure is i mean it kind of always has been but it sure is now what have you been seeing in the you know the weeks since the election and now i guess in the days since it's become clear what the result of that election is what are you seeing and what do you think is going to happen So about an hour south of Portland is the capital of Oregon, Salem. And I went down on Saturday because there's going to be a, they call it hashtag stop the steal rally. And, you know, I went out just to give you a picture of where we're at. I stayed in my car. I took my phone out and I took a little video of what I saw. I drove really slowly past their big flag wave even in front of the Capitol. And, you know, there's just proud boys with assault rifles just standing around. There's these local Patriot Prayer people. The thing that shocked me was I saw this guy, Skylar Jernigan, who shot, he got arrested and he got jailed for shooting two nine millimeter rounds at a bunch of protesters. I mean, thankfully he missed, but he did that and went to jail and then he's mysteriously out and able to attend this rally you know just all these hyper violent people from this patriot prayer group were just there just chilling and they attacked reporters they gave some reporters like robert evans who's way more famous than me some death threats and stuff and like that's basically what you can expect from these people it's kind of the same story in la there's been all of these rallies in front of the beverly hills sign that are like these pro-trump rallies and they've been going on for months now every saturday and i'm in like a group chat with a bunch of reporters from la and like all my friends just 
keep getting attacked by these people repeatedly and the cops just keep not even caring enough to file a police report about him. One of the sort of disturbing moments of the campaign was in the debate when Donald Trump was asked to denounce the Proud Boys and instead he told them, you know, stand back and stand by. I saw the other day one of the Proud Boys leaders, I think it was, put up on Telegram, stand by order rescinded. Do you think that they're going to actually be out there? I think it's kind of bluster but they already were out there and they're going to keep being out there in sacramento they were fighting people the same day i was in salem i mean in the states where they can open carry they're just out there wagging their guns around between their legs there is this really funny thing today that like this guy kyle chapman this is where the proud boys are at now that trump looks really weak and he looks like his coup attempt may or may not succeed the proud boys are doing all of this infighting where kyle chapman who i actually was at this rally in 2017 where he became knighted as this like alt-right figurehead guy called his nickname was base Stickman because he broke a closet pole over this anti-fascist head during a fight and like he's just since became like an open and out white nationalist i think he moved to idaho he used to live in like daly city and in, in the san francisco bay area and he said on telegram today oh i'm taking over leadership of the proud boys and we're changing the name to proud goys as in like goyim and we're going to kick all of the undesirables out of the proud boys like all of the gay people and the people of color and all of that and they just had this petty argument about that and it, it, like that's where they're at. The movement's collapsing in a way, but when movements collapse like this, they just the really really extreme people they go out on their own and they do horrible things. Patriot Prayer kind of collapsed for a while back in 2019. At the start of 2019, they kind of collapsed for a while, and like their relationship with the Proud Boys chapter in Portland kind of collapsed. Some members started lashing out and doing attacks on their own, like they attacked the Industrial Workers of the World had a, has this building in Portland, and they attacked it a couple of times, and just random members started attacking queer people on the streets and stuff like that. And that's what happens when the leadership loses control of violent groups, is they completely scatter and then random members just do violence on their own. Is there a typical... Proud boy, and what are these guys so ashamed of? I mean, like, the Proud Boys is a very weird organization, but it's also, it deliberately comes out of, I guess, a US oriented men's rights internet culture. Gavin McInnes is this edgelord, always has been around like neo Nazi shock jock kind of guy. If you've ever heard of Anthony Cumia and like Opie and Anthony and all of that, he's kind of one of those people, but he always had more neo Nazi friends and he was always kind of like just a closet skinhead. But what he latched onto was this thing called NoFap which was this subsect of thought on the men's rights, the manosphere on the internet, where the idea is you don't masturbate because masturbating is really bad for you for some completely hokum pseudoscience reasons. And then, oh, if you don't masturbate, then all of these wonderful things start happening to you. Your testosterone gets built back up, you become more manly, and then you start being able to court women or whatever more and be more dominant and win fights and blah, blah, blah. So basically, like one of the Proud Boys main rules, and I think it's the rule that gets made fun of a lot, 
but it's the most important rule in my mind is even more than the racist Western chauvinism thing is this idea that you don't masturbate. You're not allowed to masturbate at all once you join. And the point of that is to like make a bunch of very sexually frustrated men who are being amped up on really violent rhetoric. And then they take that out, not just on the women in their lives, but on just people that they go to rallies and just hurt people. Like that's the point. It's kind of ironic because they sound like a bunch of wankers hey oh they are yeah how many of them actually really stick to that rule i don't really care to know (laughs) (laughs) but i suspect i mean i suspect a bunch of them don't and they just kind of do it for show but i suspect a lot of people who are like follower types who really just really get suckered into this and are cult members yeah of course they don't and of course they the the behavior has the intended effect, which is to rile you up so you can do violence against people. Are the Pratt Boys one of the larger uh, crews running around? They are. I mean, they're national, and there's chapters in most states. And they, I mean, I don't even know if there's an Alaska chapter or not, but there's in the lower 48, and I think in Hawaii, there's a, a Proud Boy running for office even. And these people, like, they show up, they go become quote-unquote security for local Republican events. Local Republicans get their photos taken with them. In fact, there was a huge scandal in Reno where this guy, Eddie Lorton, who was running for, I forget he was running for, but he was photographed with a bunch of Proud Boys and he was just made a bunch of racist statements on Facebook and that sunk his campaign. You know, you're asking me, what are they so ashamed of? Uh, they're, They're ashamed of everything that they're, doing because that's kind of the point is to like have an embarrassing name and look really silly and look really stupid and have everybody make fun of you so you can get angry and hurt people kind of like a humiliation violence complex industrial complex or something right and they have a reasonably close relationship to the republicans or elements of the republican party and you've previously studied and written about the college republicans what what's the nature of that relationship when i was in grad school and i i i mean i did this documentary and i think we're if biden's in and i can take a break i'm going to finally edit it into some parts and just release it on youtube but the point of this documentary i made when i was in grad school was the berkeley college republicans at the time they had a basically an alt-right faction and that's who invited Milo Yiannopoulos. They were in the leadership within the Berkeley College Republicans like organization. They had all of this national media attention because they brought Milo. And people were justifiably afraid that Milo, if he was allowed to speak, he was going to take a bunch of students that somebody had handed him. I never confirmed this rumor, but the rumor was that there was going to be a bunch of undocumented students that he was going to out on stage and just have all of the little baby fascists who showed up to his hate rally call ice on them just on on undocumented students their own fellow classmates i mean that's who these kids were but because i had to do things in kind of the conventional journalism way i kind of leveraged it to my advantage and just said, okay, well, I'm not going to make any assumptions about any of you. And me and the journalist that I made the documentary with, Andy Beal, we just, who's at NHK America now, and we're still really good friends. What we did was we just showed up every Wednesday night to their meetings and we just filmed the entire meeting and then we got to know them. And then 
eventually by the end of the year we had all of this footage of them handing out shirts when milo was supposed to come back to campus in september they were handing out shirts that said stuff like lesbians aren't real and nuke mecca and stuff like that they're just handing them out to their friends like it was funny and then after that we found out we basically got them on camera admitting that there were actual neo-nazi members of the club just people who think that hitler did nothing wrong and they were just harboring these people we basically just had them dead to rights so, you know, I mean, we'll, I'll release that eventually, but until this year, there's still members of that original group from 2017 that are in leadership positions in the Berkeley College Republicans. There's this one guy, Matt Ronow, who I think he just graduated, but he is completely a groiper. He was, he's like this fanboy of Nick Fuentes and you like, uh, you know, we've got proof he liked one of his tweets even though he's really careful to like all of the figures around Nick Fuentes, who's this white nationalist figure who is kind of trying to carry on the torch of the alt-right and do entryism into the Republican Party from the suit-and-tie white nationalist lineage of people like Richard Spencer Angle. So, I mean, that's who these people are. They're kind of like the suit-and-tie brand of white nationalist. And the way, what they would do was they would, all of these people were just hanging out together in 2017. They would just all show up to rallies together and mingle. And you would, like the Berkeley College Republicans would invite this, these guys in this white nationalist media outlet called the Red Elephants into their meetings and have them live stream their meeting. And now the guy, Vincent James from the Red Elephants, that white nationalist outlet, he became one of the thought leaders of the Groypers. I don't know what he's up to now, but like he's been photographed with like Ann Coulter and all of these people. And, you know, they, that's, that's just what they're about. One of the other groups of people that you've been looking at recently are the Boogaloo Boys. What's going on with them and how have they taken Trump's loss? The Boogaloo movement is a very weird one. It kind of came out of... So there's a few different boards on 4chan and 8chan that kind of spawned this reactionary movement in the United States that's, you know, for the lack of a better word, ascendant right now. Paul was the one that spawned the alt-right. Kay was the one that spawned the Boogaloo Boys. Alex Newhouse at the Middlebury Institute for International Studies did this whole article that I've cited a few times that points to, hey, look, there's a pipeline. They're naturally like they're on 8chan and 4chan and like people who basically the way it works is you start off as a Nazi on poll and you get all of the ideology. And when you're sick of just debating about ideology of different brands of fascism on poll, which is the politically incorrect, like politics discussion board you go over decay which is the weapons board which is has this like very i mean because you know it's weapons culture in the united states it has this very libertarian tinge to it like american libertarian party tinge to it but they explicitly say don't talk about politics on this board because weapons plus politics is a recipe for the FBI to look at us more closely, right? So K is pretty much where people go to get practical knowledge if they want to do violence. And, you know, poll is where you go to like get indoctrinated in different kinds of fascist violence. Yeah, so, or to an- announce the live stream of your massacre. Uh, yeah, 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 it is. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, you're not going to do that on K because it would just get taken down instantly. Whereas on poll, you just go and cheer it. But the Boogaloo movement is this weird and kind of complex thing where these guys 
kind of zoomed past the neo-Nazi ideology to just go, I just want to accelerate violence. I just want to destroy the United States and balkanize it and get in glorious battles with the cops and stuff like that. But it's inherently a white nationalist movement, and it's inherently like a deeply colonial movement. They just have different dog whistles, and they have different sign- other signifiers. Like one of the main Boogaloo Boy, really popular Boogaloo Boy signifiers, Rhodesia. They'll wear different Rhodesian special forces patches on their plate carriers when they go out and march around and pretend that they're supporting Black Lives Matter stuff. But I always use this one example. I forget this this idiot's name, but there was this Boogaloo boy in Texas who basically had a pith helm, this ballistic helmet that's shaped like a pith helm, and he wrapped it in floral print print because they all wear Hawaiian shirts because Big Luau is a pun on Boogaloo. And I suspect it's also like the floral print. It kind of reminds them of Rhodesian camo because Rhodesia had this distinctive camo pattern that was kind of floral. But there's this Boogaloo boy in Texas, I forget his name, but he would go around with this Hawaiian print pith helmet and this giant gun, and he would just walk a block behind Black Lives Matter marchers. So what are the optics of a guy walking around with a pith helm and a rifle behind a bunch of African Americans? Like, you tell me, right? Part of the optics, too, is that, that it's sort of there's this ridiculousness to it that is supposed to hide the dangerousness. That's correct. But the, ridi- the ridiculousness serves a lot of different purposes. It, hide- it makes everybody dismiss you, and it makes it really fun for the members. Mm. Like, I wouldn't say that there's even really, like, an ideal... Like, there's a few things as far as, like, books that are, like, ideology for these Boogaloo boys, but mainly it's the meme pages. It's just they get inundated with all of these memes that are like, haha, we're gonna pop some blueberries or whatever and we you know, blue blueberry meaning like blue helmets that UN troops have, right? They're just fantasizing about killing UN troops, they're fantasizing about killing cops. All of these people who came out of the militia side of things, they hate cops because they hate anything that'll be a threat to taking their guns away. One of the things I think would be really instructive for anti-fascist researchers to read as far as the, as the Boogaloo Boys go is this book called Harassment Architecture by this guy Mike Ma. Is this disgusting, like, edgelord fascist book that's kind of framed as like a story about this guy who's just going around pulling all of these evil pranks on protesters and stuff i i even forget what he the guy does in the book but it's kind of like the idea is basically to escalate violence so that the police and law enforcement in general just become overwhelmed and then you topple the state that way like the state just collapses so that's just what accelerationism is yeah i think i've seen that one on uh, some of the siege reading lists yeah yeah and i mean like these guys a bunch of these guys don't even know what siege is I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure a bunch of them do, but I think a bunch of them just, they get indoctrinated into this stuff really quick. And it's disturbing to see because there's people that my team has tracked that just, they leave their wives and their kids to do this stuff and drive across state lines. You just go harass protests and then pretend, oh, we're on your side, we're on your side and, you know, just show up armed to stuff and then try to provoke fights with the cops. And 
a lot of them are really suicidal too. The, one of their one of their big memes is this thing called Sky King, which was this guy who you know it's this bizarre story. Or I think a few years ago, where this guy hijacked an airplane to like kill himself, and there's just all these audio recordings of talking to the air tra- traffic controller saying, "Hey, you're handling this really well, buddy. You know, I'm I'm not really doing this to die. I'm just tr- doing this to see if I'm really alive." You know, they all love this because a lot of them just have suicidal ideations, and they just stuff's gone horribly wrong in their lives, and they latch onto this death cult movement that's like oh well i can die gloriously in battle now and then my life will have one boogaloo boy who's passed on from this world is duncan lemp and you recently did a bit of a deep dive into what he was all about what did you find so the long and short of it we found that he's likely a pedophile and was likely a neo-nazi and that's just from drawing really obvious conclusions from the fact that he was following like 12 and 13 into like 16 year old girls on tiktok who may like there's a very i don't know if i'm the right person to do this but something's a story really has to be done on how there's just a bunch of teenage girls on tiktok like he follows all of these young girls on tiktok who are just doing like they call it, the slang term is thirst trap videos. And it's just really creepy and horrible. We, we did a random sample survey, and I think something like 84% of the ca- accounts uh, uh, that we found he was following, of the like 800 plus accounts he was following, were just like these dancing girls. About 15% of them were just underage, just straight up underage, the youngest of which was a sixth grader. So, yeah, it's really dark. And these boogaloo boys like they don't have articulate targets for their hatred and violence they just have the kind of broad conspiratorial targets like the feds the police the pedophiles one of their big memes is we're going to drop pedophiles into wood chippers and look at this guy he was just probably like why would you follow all of those girls what possible reason would you have besides you're interested in their bodies if you're like this 21 year old dude who's just into guns and showing off pictures with his girlfriend or whatever and the other thing about him is that he was just straight up following neo-nazi accounts one of the the accounts he was following was called ceo of racism 1488 another one was this like i won't repeat the name but one of them was this just an eco-fascist account that's really popular with neo-Nazi accelerationist telegram spaces. So, you know, this guy knew what he was about. And the Boogaloo movement was always supposed to be an optical rebranding of, like, Adam Waffen-style terrorism. That's what it is. Obviously, during the course of Left Coast and previously, you've had opportunities to uh, conduct research and publish about this movement or movements. And I guess that also speaks to the inadequacy of more mainstream corporate and state media accounts. Is that mm-hmm. basically the kind of goal that the project has set itself? Yeah, I think the goal I'm more comfortable saying explicitly now is I don't think you should get to be a journalist unless you're explicitly an anti-fascist. Because one, if you're claiming to do journalism, you're a public servant. And if you're serving fascism, you're not serving the public. 
And two, just what are you doing? They want to kill journalists. So I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I'm trying to, I, I do the reporting I do the way I do it to confront to just confront the fact that the old liberal model of oh well we have to listen to every side and we have to take people at their word on face value and then investigate it doesn't work because fascists explicitly game that they explicitly they want to spread their message they want to make up all of this bullshit one of the people on my team was coaching me the other day about how to interact with boogaloo boys in public and his whole thing was, you cannot, you have to say, I don't care, and ignore every one of their answers to why they're here. And you have to keep asking them, why are you here? What are you doing here with those guns? You know, because they'll just say stuff like, oh, um, we're here to stand against tyranny, and uh, we're on your side. Because their entire point is to have you accept that they're going to stay. Their goal is to stay there. You know, they're like a vampire entering your house. And everything they do in conversation is to try to push the envelope their way so that you have to argue things on their term. And you can never do that because you'll never get the truth from them because their entire point of talking to you is to do public relations, to lie to you. And, you know, if you're going to say, oh, well, this Boogaloo boy said this, this anti-fascist said this, we're going to present both opinions and let you decide it's not informing people. Because these people on their own online chats, like page, like Unicorn Riot just released Patriot Wave, this big Boogaloo boy groups, like internal chats, and they're just talking about raping and murdering people and shooting up synagogues. And of course, they're not going to tell you that up front. So, you know, what are you supposed to do besides this, right? Well, we'll have to leave it there for the radio. Thanks very much for joining us, Abner. If people want to find Left Coast Right Watch, they can do so at leftcoastrightwatch.org, LCRW News on Twitter, and on patreon.com slash LCRW. Thanks for joining us, Abner. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Andy, that's all we've got time for, but we'll have a few more questions with Abner on the podcast version of this show, which people can find at 3cr.org.au slash Passaran or on Apple or Spotify. Catch you next week. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. QAnon has been an uh, interesting thing that has popped up over the past few years. Is that an area that you've been looking at? I have been, and I'm still trying to bug the folks at QAnon Anonymous to help to let me ghostwrite an episode for them because I think I could do I think I could find something really weird and do a good job and they'd have fun but you know that's uh you know hint hint Julian I'm sure I'm sure you've had guests on this on the show before say this but they're at its at their core of just repackaging the old blood libel conspiracy the old conspiracy that Jews control the world and that they're stealing children to drink their blood and put their blood into like matzo ball soup or whatever the old racist conspiracy is. It kind of evolved from the protocols of the elders of Zion. Oh, Jews control the world. And, you know, Hitler could openly just say that and push that conspiracy. But after in the United States, after or World War Two, that wasn't it wasn't so popular to openly target Jews anymore. So what you had to do was say, Oh, well, I mean, Hitler kind of linked Judaism and communism together. So let's just get rid of the Jewish part and just focus on communism. And that's how you get the John Birch Society. 
And then when communism stopped being a you know major world power, what kind of replaced it was all of this like Alex Jones own style like it's the globalists there it's the globalists there is there's the banking elites and you know all of that and so it just became a shadowy cabal we don't know who they really are but they're controlling the world just trust us QAnon is just the next level of that the main in the QAnon like religious philosophy or whatever it is like in their cult in their cult doctrine they basically say that the Rothschilds, George Soros, and this and the Saudi royal family, Emily, are the big three. Are, are like the big three shadowy networks of people that control the world, right? So the Rothschilds and Soros are just, like you know the Saudi royal family is just racist against Arab people, right? It's just a stand-in for that. But like the Rothschilds and Soros, those are just anti-Semitic dog whistle because the Rothschilds have been like a Jewish conspiracy theory, like an anti-Semitic conspiracy thing forever. But yeah, no, I mean like QAnon is a little bit like the the Boogaloo Boys in that it's just it spreads through all of these memes and influence like minor influencers and people can glom on whatever meaning they want to it and you know, people do everything from like anti-vaccine to evangelical Christianity to like aliens and UFO conspiracy theory versions of QAnon. So, you know, it just attracts everybody who wants to think that has that worm in their brain that says, oh, I need to think that I have secret knowledge that and I'm smarter than everybody else for having it, and everybody needs to listen to me. I, maybe it's too early to call because they're still sort of in the mode of uh, we haven't lost the election. Uh, Donald Trump is going to, you know, lock Joe Biden up in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you sort of see it going, or is it too early to call that? So I don't think it's too early to call that. What I would say is that they already, the entire Trump movement has had a narrative for the past year in case they lose, which is they're stealing the election. And in fact, like this goes back years and years and years of the Republican Party, is they've said, oh, well, they're counting dead people voting and they're counting all of these illegal immigrants voting and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they've always had a narrative for them losing and them being wildly unpopular. And now it's just codified in this moment as like, oh, the Democrats stole the election. But, you know, with QAnon, I'm not sure what the what their wrinkle will be to that. But there's just going to be a wrinkle that justifies, oh, well, Trump had to do this for this reason. And, you know, we just need to keep the faith because these cults always double down. There's just going to be something where they say tell themselves that. I noticed with there's that all these sort of weird connections between the QAnon world and Steve Bannon and Miles Guo, the Chinese exiled billionaire. Mm. I noticed that when he announced his like sort of alternate China Republic, sort of the narrative in the QAnon world was that uh, it had replaced the Chinese government. I wonder if they'll just move into this completely alternate reality where they're still in power. So the thing about the QAnon alternate reality is. Don't think of it as these are delusional people and they live in this alternate world where this is already true. These are people announcing their intention. Like the main point of the QAnon conspiracy is the same thing as the Turner Diaries, which is this day of the rope where there's this big day of bloodletting where they destroy all of the undesirables and enemies and stuff. 
the idea is like you per you know the the idea of QAnon is like oh there's going to be all these secret military tribunals and all of the evil democrats and it's our pedophiles and they're going to be you know hung from the gallows or whatever and the point of all of that is an intentional statement to say a we're building our cult towards like militarizing and doing this ourselves mm. Like, that's what it always is with right-wing conspiracy theories, is their statements of intention. Did Had you followed the chap who was arrested close to the uh, the vote count with a, a truck full of guns? One of my writers is doing something on that. Uh, yeah, he, he was connected, I'm vaguely aware, to some local politician in the area, which doesn't surprise me. And, you know, that's this is just, I mean... QAnon's just pervaded the Republican Party the way that most right-wing extremism has. You're just going to keep seeing people go off the deep end and like say, okay, now it's time to do violence because I'm not seeing the results I want. Hmm. And that's the entire point of the conspiracy theory, kind of still just out of James Mason's siege in a way. The, the most surprising thing about that guy was that the, you know there weren't more of them. I guess the thing is maybe he just went a little bit early. <laughs> Well, QAnon, a lot of other kind of white nationalist and right-wing adjacent people who hate QAnon, they'll just say it's a psyop by the U.S. government to keep people in line because the entire refrain of QAnon is like, trust the plan, sit back, get your popcorn, and watch all of this stuff play out. It still creates people who aren't going to do that, but... I think in a lot of ways, QAnon's a bit more like the violence it does is sublimated in other ways because of that. Like it's more sublimated into like, you know, it ruins people's families and it just makes people do horrible things to themselves because they believe all of these awful conspiracy theories. Apart from uh, watching and monitoring and documenting the activities of these sorts of groups, uh, Proud Boys and so on and so forth. What do you think is most important for those who are, for the communities that are being targeted by these groups in terms of establishing some form of self-defence? I do think community self-defence, kind of forming a dual power structure to the, to the police who often collude with these right-wing groups and often share their beliefs, I think that's necessary. In the United States, we do have we do have unless you have you know, you're convicted of a felony, you can own a firearm. I own some, and ever since I started training with them, it's like made the level of threats that I get you know go down. Because when people with guns see that you know about guns and you have guns, they cool off a bit because they don't want you know. They want to have power over you and bully you. They don't want to risk getting shot. And I mean, I'm not saying I would do that, obviously. I'm just saying, like, obviously having a firearm in your ho- your home statistically, like, increases the risk of, like, domestic abuse and all of this other bad stuff. But if you're on one side of a conflict and the other consul- side of the conflict has guns, like there is a certain, you know, there is a certain necessity to being armed. 
And I don't think it's just being armed. I think it's like having networks of support, having all of these networks where you like monitor and expose fascists and make sure they can't have jobs and can't be comfortable and just doing all of the things that anti-fascism entails because they work. I've seen them work for three and a half years now. It's objectively, it's objectively a set of tactics that does work. I'd recommend people read Spencer Sunshine and Pop Mob's pamphlet, like short book. It's called 40 Ways to Fight Fascists. I'll send it to you a link in the description or something. But yeah, I, I think community self-defense in all of its forms is valid. I guess also one of the reasons I ask is because uh, President-elect Biden and others have made explicit appeals in the wake of the election, which is, uh, I, I guess, appealing to members of the American public to, in a sense, if not befriend, then at least embrace their opposition as though this would this reconciliation would lessen the kinds of tensions and, and divisions that have uh, emerged in the United States. Do you, I guess you, you maybe not think that that was a very wise position to take? Biden started his career collaborating with segregationists. Why should I listen to anything he's saying when it comes to the right-wingers? You know, he's, I mean, he said one, one nice thing about how, oh, the Proud Boys are bad and Antifa is a set of, is an ideology during the debate. Okay, great, thanks. But, you know, last time I was here in Portland, the Proud Boys had this news conference and I showed up and kind of made fun of them. But their big announcement was, oh, we got a state of emergency declared and we got Oregon State troopers to be given licenses, federal agents, so that they can use CS gas and all of these horrible chemical weapons on protesters if they need to. And they said, yeah, that was our goal is to create a state of emergency so that the police can be more brutal. Fa- that's what fascists do often. Like, you know, all of these militias are a joke compared to local like like local and state and national like law enforcement and military. They're a joke compared to them. You know, they're irregular forces. The point of them being there is to terrorize the civilian population so then the state comes in and escalates and makes law enforcement more militarized and polices people in general in a more militarized way. That's the point. So Biden and the Democrats in general don't understand that, and they don't really care, and they're in favor of militarizing the police. Obama was in favor of militarizing the police, and Biden was his vice president. A bunch of that happened under Obama. And that's why we're, and you know, that's kind of why we're here today. If we didn't have bipartisan like a bipartisan laying of the groundwork, then we wouldn't be here. So when Biden says, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's embrace and put out an olive branch to all the right wingers who are, you know, all of these right wing extremists who have been just pushing for open fascism for four years, he's saying, yeah, I'm fine with it. We should just have incremental fascism. That's really what he's saying. A lot of people are really happy that he's president because less people are going to die. But it's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse slower. Going back to Milo in Berkeley in 2017, which is uh, after which you and others decided to establish this project, there was an enormous amount of attention paid to that event, and especially the fact that 
there were hundreds, thousands of anti-fascists mobilising for the occasion and were, you know, largely successful in disrupting the event. At the same time, uh, ever since then, that incident has been pointed to as being evidence of the, uh, I guess, violent and irrational nature of anti-fascism in the United States. So I've got, uh, well, two questions. One is, mm-hmm. uh, what's become of Milo? And uh, secondly, how do you think, is it possible to effectively oppose these kinds of groups, of, of to oppose fascist ideology without being portrayed as being, you know, in a sense, as bad as they are? So Milo, I'll just say really quickly, he's become less and less of a relevant figure over the years. He's kind of a case study in the fact that deplatforming works. That saying, you're not allowed to have this social media presence, you're not allowed to do all of this stuff if you're going to incite violence against people. He has less of an audience, he has, his grift isn't as big, like, I think he's got like, still about 15, 20,000 Telegram followers. But besides that, you know, what has he got? And what kind of reach does he have? He's just got like, a small niche audience and just gets in petty cat fights with other fascists who have also been deplatformed. So that's kind of it for him. He's done. He's kind of irrelevant. And unless like he's invited back on these major social media platforms or, you know, otherwise gets major influence, like it's just on to the next fascist who hasn't been deplatformed yet. Like somebody like Nick Fuentes, who's still on Twitter. As far as like, you know, you're asking me the both sides question, right? The both sides question comes from a place where if you sincerely believe in the both sides thing, it's because you don't have a stake in fascist, you're not a target of fascist violence. You're not affected by this. So if you're not affected by this, and you could say, I have a duty to listen to the people who violence is incited against them and retaliate, or you could say, oh, well, I'm not going to touch this conflict. I'm not going to engage it. Both set, Neither of these sides are me, so they're both just as bad as each other. Which one of these, those is more informed and which one of those is, you know, just ignorant, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if you're, if you're just going to, you know, if you're just going to wash your hands of it, then... If you're going to if you're going to not really seriously look at it and say anti-fascism, which I don't know how many people is, have anti-fascists killed like one guy in the last, and that was just in the last few months. But I don't think anti-fascists have killed anybody else since like I don't know in the last twenty five thirty years. You know that one situation, the person he they, that got killed, maybe it was justified, maybe it wasn't, but this was somebody who repeatedly came into Portland with Patriot Prayer armed and incited violence against people and hurt people you know so it's not the same thing as targeting like a synagogue where people are just worshiping you know it's not the same thing as what patriot prayer did just the other week and showed up to a rally and like i showed up to excuse me a vigil for somebody who was killed by police violence and just harassed them and pepper sprayed them it's not you can't morally equate those two things and if you do, you're doing so deliberately to, in order to enable fascism. Deplatforming works in the sense that if you remove 
the technical means by which figures like Milo can uh, cultivate an audience that's obviously going to make it more difficult for them to do so. At the same time, obviously, it's hardly ideal to have, you know, um, these corporations determine, uh, you know, what should or shouldn't be published on their platforms. And, um, I, you know, I, I expect that the reason, you know, Milo and so on have been removed is, is really because of popular pressure. There's real pressure being placed upon these corporations to act in ways that mitigate the possibility of antisocial violence and they want to escape from a situation in which, you know, laws might be developed as they have been in Europe to uh, penalise them for allowing this kind of uh, hate speech and uh, promotion of violence to take place. But in the context of uh, the Boogaloo Boys and a whole range of other actors, I wonder what you think, Abner, because a lot of their activities seem to be, not all of them, but, but many of them seem to be directed explicitly at generating content for publication and uh, reproduction across a variety of platforms. And I wonder, can you imagine a situation in which, you know, uh, this social media and other platforms didn't exist? Would we actually see as much activity on the part of these groups and individuals? You know, if social media didn't exist, like, that's a pretty easy to question to answer. Like, I think anti-fascism would look like it did in the 80s, where you had to infiltrate these groups in person. Like, you had to have the one, you know, white person in your anti-fascist crew, <laughs> you know, dress up and pretend to be a skinhead for a few years and for a few months and then ghost. And then get all the information you need and then, like, you go, you know, you go find them where they're meeting and, you know, you break up their meeting. You know, or, like, I don't know how it would look different without social media but social media is you know timothy mcveigh was one guy he went to a bunch of gun shows he went to a bunch of militia meetings he joined a militia he went to a bunch of these rallies he showed up outside of waco and was selling like copies of the turner diaries and then he did that awful thing that he did and he was just one guy there's there is absolutely something to be said about the fact that there's boogaloo boy groups like including patriot wave who are making propaganda and memes that just had like the murrah building in oklahoma city like oh we're going to do this again and there's going to be more of us doing more of these again you can reach a bunch of more people with that than timothy mcveigh ever could like selling copies of the turner diary the turner diaries had massive sales for the day for like an extremist book back in back um by the time timothy mcveigh did his awful thing i think it sold like five hundred thousand copies well all of these boogaloo groups like there's hundreds of pages with like at its height with like twenty thousand followers each do the math it's a lot more or, or really bad stuff I don't know. Like, I think it's a separate but related issue that we have that we're beholden to corporate run social media. You know, we have to find ways to pressure them to police fascists on their platforms. And they're doing a terrible job. But I don't know what to do besides what we're doing now. I guess the, the other thing is when you're describing the Boogaloo Boys and you know, their kind of attitude to life insofar as they have a worldview is uh, there's a fascist and white supremacist dimension, but there's also a kind of nihilism. And what they want, you know, and, and 
expressed through promoting the, the death of the Sky King is they want their life to be rendered meaningful through death and that has to be documented. It, it has to leave a trace. So what they're, it seems to be one of the main drivers for those who are more likely to engage in this kind of, you know, murderous behaviour is that there's a political um, set of values, but it seems to be kind of overlaid this kind of real profound alienation and social media has allowed or enables, uh, makes possible, you know, affords possibility of them taking action and having it register in a way that it wouldn't, you know, uh, before the emergence of social media. I mean, I think that's true, but what you have to remember, I think, is that there's always going to be, pe- like, as nihilistic and wanting of self-destruction as a lot of these guys in bo- the Boogaloo movement are, the core of it, like the core of all right-wing extremism is these are people who want to hurt other people. They want to do whatever they're doing in order to hurt other people to feel good. And if you've got that, then that's your tell no matter what. And I've kind of given up on the social media debate personally just because it's kind of become part of the game. Like, oh, these guys are popping up. We'll I'll find we'll find who they are, like sound the alarm bell and then their infrastructure will collapse because one social media pro platform won't let them on anymore and then but in the meantime they've blossomed in like you know social media is just this giant surveillance apparatus so i get all sorts of incredible data on them so i don't know i i don't know what to say about about it, it at all because like it's just there and it's i mean it's just all there and it's all just part of the game to like stop these people if i didn't have social media i couldn't figure out who they are as easily but maybe if social media wasn't there like there'd be less of them to figure out what they're doing it's just not yeah there's just a rational disconnect for me there and in the meantime we've got to try and take care of each other right i think so yeah well how about we leave it there abner thanks very much for joining us thanks for having me Got feelings in your heart Don't let fear of feeling fool you What you see sets you apart And there's nothing here to find you It's no way for life to start Do you know that tonight The streets are Tonight the streets Got nothing in their souls 
Slut Walk Movement to End Slut Shaming and Victim Blaming. Tune in to 3CR on November 14th at 1pm. Turn it up loud and let the speeches fill the streets. Tell the world, even in a pandemic, we will not be silenced. Slut Walk, it's a controversial name, not a controversial message. Slut Walk Melbourne, it's a 3CR supporter. Good girls bet a man with a beard, but God is a woman and she's tough and she's queer. Good girls are waiting in the pool. 